Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, I will pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Ask for your Holy Spirit to come. Fill us, Lord, and speak to us. Regardless of what is said, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, uh, even if it's beyond uh, what's going on in the text, that you would minister in such a dynamic way that people would be transformed in spirit and mind and soul in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to start this morning by sharing some verses, actually a, a lot of verses, and I'm hoping that you don't fall asleep as I, as I go through these verses. There are, are 13 of them, and I, the reason why I want to do this is I want to paint this picture of Jesus' growing influence before we get into this story, just to get in our, our mindset and to kind of paint a story of how this crowd is following Jesus, how these crowds are always following him. So starting in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Verse 37. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Then jump over to chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Verse 15, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Chapter 6, verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Chapter 7, verse 9, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Verse 11, Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Verses 16 and 17, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Last verse, 29, When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. No one asleep? We're good. So we read that Jesus' influence is growing, his popularity is growing, his fame is growing. And like John, Luke wasn't even able to record every single instance of Jesus' ministry. Right? John in chapter, uh, John chapter 20, verse 30, he wrote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So there's no doubt that Luke couldn't keep up either, and this is just what Luke has recorded for us. But in reading these verses like the ones we just read in the Gospel of Luke, it makes me wonder about the people in the crowd, because each individual person within that mass of people has their own story, has their own unique story. It's just like each one of us. We we each have our own unique story. And as Jesus shared, each time he threw out that seed, right? Each time he threw out that word of God that we talked about last week. I wonder how much of that seed fell on good soil. Every time he was preaching, every time he was giving out the word of God. 
And I wonder how much of, of, of that seed fell on not so good soil. So the ones that fell on good soil, I wonder how many of those people repented. How many of those people took Jesus up on that free gift of forgiveness, of grace, of love? How many people accepted that gift? And I wonder a lot in reading this story because I wonder when this woman heard the gospel of the kingdom. Where, where was she converted? Was it in Capernaum? Was it in Nain? Was it uh, in Nazareth? Which village was it? Which town was it? Out of all those stories we read, or maybe, and there were probably some more, where was she that she heard this and things changed for her? Because she was obviously converted before the sequence of events happened in, in this story because we aren't saved by our works, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it's written, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So she didn't earn her salvation because she did good things. She performed these acts of love because she was saved. It wasn't the other way around. She became aware of her sin, the salvation of Jesus that he offered to her, out of who she once was, and then out of that she did these acts of love. But I wonder when she got saved. And I wonder where it was. I wonder when it was. And how long was she following Jesus before she just kind of did these acts of love? How long was she a hearer of Jesus? Because somewhere and sometime in her story, she received Jesus into her life. And by faith, she received the forgiveness of sins. And so this growing love for Jesus, couldn't, she couldn't sit back any longer. And this act of love that we're going to talk about... It, it had to come out. Starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, it was customary for nicer homes to have this open courtyard, which people customarily used, especially when the weather was a little bit warmer, but they used this to, to host meals. And oftentimes, there, it was nice... A nice fountain there, and there were nice gardens there, and people could freely pass through, and they could see kind of what's going on. And there was especially more traffic when there was a distinguished guest in town. So no doubt Jesus is in town, so you can imagine the congestion that Jesus is creating in this guy's courtyard and around it. I mean, it's like L.A. traffic, right? It's just like bumper to bumper. And, and so it's just all this congestion. But, but this is a social thing. It's a social thing, the open courtyard. People can kind of wander through, check out what's going on. Like, oh, so-and-so, Simon's hosting Jesus. I'll check that out. Oh, he knows those people. I didn't know that. And it's just like a social thing, kind of like watching a movie or something. And so if you ever wondered, like, how did this woman get into the house? This is how. It was, it was just kind of a normal, customary thing. It's wide open. It's not like she had to knock on the door. Like, hey, can I see Jesus? It's not like that open, public. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now we're not given her name. We're not told exactly what her past was, except that she was a sinner and that she was known by the people in the city. So we can kind of deduce what she was up to, what her past life included. And we all have a past. Everybody has a past, right? And, and so this woman is a woman of the city, and she was known around town. And she may have heard about Jesus elsewhere. It might have been in this very town here. But, but, but we know that she was known in this particular city, that she 
was in this particular city. And people recognized her for her sin, which more than likely was prostitution. That she was a prostitute. So people would walk by, they'd probably point out to her or look at her at ju- with judgment or walk the other way or just kind of talk behind her back and just kind of ostracize her a bit, right? Now, just to give a little bit of background about hospitality during this time and this place before we get into the story. It was customary back then when, when you host a guest at your home for, for a meal that, that you would do certain things for that person. So upon arrival... It was customary that you would give a kiss on, on each cheek to, to that person. It was a, a sign of peace. And for our culture, we're just not used to it, but in Europe and other places, this is, this is very normal. It's, it's not so normal in Asia and for us in the States. So for me, it kind of freaks me out because I have both of those things. So when I went to Russia like, several years ago and I'm greeted like this, these guys, oh, dude. Love you too. But it was just so uncomfortable for me. <clears throat> I just, I'm, I'm just not used to that. Anyway, so this is a courteous thing to do. It's a customary thing to do. And, and, the, and another thing that was customary and was courteous was washing people's feet when they, when they came into your home. Right? So a foot washing was a customary thing. It was a courteous thing to do for your guests. Right? And another thing that was courteous and customary was anointing someone, anointing your guests usually on their head, with, with a fragrance. So whether it was through, with oil or ointment or, or an incense or something, it kind of refreshed your guests as they came in, right? So some women at that time, usually they had financial means, and if not, then they had some other way to earn it, these ointment things, like a prostitute. And they would have this vial around their neck, and they would have this, this vial of good-smelling stuff there. So this good stuff, this, perf- this perfume, if it was the really good stuff, it would be in an alabaster jar because that stuff's really expensive. So you wouldn't put it in Tupperware, right? You've got to put it in a nice little bottle. So, so you've got to put it there. So, so just like this really nice spa treatment as you enter someone's home, right? It's like, oh, welcome to Chateau Albert or whatever. Here's a ki- kiss on the cheek, right? Hey, welcome, welcome. Come here, come here. Hey, let me give you a mani-pedi right here. All right, right. Let's just do this. There's some aromatherapy going on. Hey, there you go. Welcome to my home. It's beautiful. And, you know, you feel refreshed. Simon didn't do any of that stuff. None of it. Totally disrespectful. Totally rude. Didn't do any of this stuff. So all that customary th- stuff, all that courteous stuff just chucked out the door. And you imagine that it, it's, in the, it's in his public garden, so everyone sees this. Everyone sees what he's doing. So it makes you wonder, why did this Pharisee have Jesus over at his house? What was his intention? Doesn't it make you wonder that? He doesn't do any of this customary stuff. Any of that. He's just dissing Jesus the whole time. What is going on? Right? So what, what were this, this guy's intentions? He wasn't doing any of the courteous things. He wasn't doing any of the customary things that a host would do for their guest at that time. So something else to keep in mind. The way that people ate around the table was more of a reclined position. It wasn't like seated in a chair. It's more reclined and understandable. There's not a lot of trees there to make chairs and tables and things. So a lot of them reclined. And, and so they would eat on one side to eat, and then they'd reach over with the other side. Or if they were the other way around, they'd talk to this guy. They would reach around this way, and they'd, they'd do this way. So the, the, your feet are pointing away from the food. 
And so you're eating this way. So how did the woman get to Jesus' feet? Well, his feet were on the outside. So it wasn't like, oh, Jesus, can you move your table and your chair and let me wash your feet? So don't imagine like how we eat in the Western world. It's reclining, feet are down there, and that's how she gets access. So if you're wondering, this stuff doesn't make any sense. Public place, doesn't have to knock on the door. Feet are pointing out, not under the table on a chair. So that's how it is. So... Here's what's happened so far, right? Jesus was asked by the Pharisee to go to this house to eat. He's not shown any of the common courtesies or hospitalities that are shown to a guest. This woman whose life was changed by Jesus sometime, who knows when, went to Jesus when she found out where he would be reclining and eating. And so she's there. She's in this public garden place. And, and, and she's seeing all this rudeness happen to her Lord, to her Savior. She's seeing how this guy is publicly disrespecting Jesus. And so, I think she's kind of sick of it. I think she's can't take it anymore. She's going to stick her neck out a little bit. And I wonder if she just, just couldn't take it. You know, Jesus transformed my life, and here's this guy treating my Lord like this. And so she didn't care what other people thought of her. She didn't care, so she intervened herself. Verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Totally stuck her neck out. How so? Everyone knew of her. She was a sinner and everyone in the town knew of her. Right? So she she wasn't thought of very highly. More, More than likely, this is a despised person. This is a person that is considered unclean. And so all the judgment people had for her, all the condemnation people had for her, she wasn't worried about that at the feet of Jesus. See, at the feet of Jesus, we don't have to worry about that judgment. We don't have to worry about that condemnation. At the feet of Jesus, and at the Pharisee's house, she did for Jesus what Simon wouldn't do. And so you notice that this woman wept. And the word for weeping in that verse, is more about mourning. It's more about lamenting. So it's painting a picture for us of a woman whose tears are just streaming down her face, so much so that they're running down to Jesus' feet. And as they're running down to Jesus' feet, it's not like she carried around towels with her. All right, so, so she's just bawling. And you know how messy you get when you're just like bawling, right? You got snot running down your nose. And it's just a, you're just a mess, right? And sometimes you even saliva is coming out. You're such, so bad, everything's coming down. And, and so you just imagine this is totally bawling, totally broken before Jesus. All this stuff coming out of her face. And why is she weeping so much? Why why is she weeping so much? We're not told exactly why. Wondering again. And I wonder if it was because she was just overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. Just totally overwhelmed that he accepted her even with her dark past. Even when everyone else around the town is pointing fingers or talking the other way or ignoring her or whatever. Here's Jesus accepting her. Accepting her. Just the way she was with that dark past. And so when, when, when so many came to use her and to abuse her, here's Jesus just wanting to love her. I don't want anything from you. And, and so, what was her story? 
What was her unique story? Did, did she have to go out on the streets because she was an orphan? Or maybe she was a widow? And so things weren't very good for women back then. There wasn't like these social services where orphans would be taken care of and, and widows would be taken care of. And that's why you, you, you read of them and you hear of them so often in the Bible. You, you see that orphan and widows are mentioned there pretty often. There weren't the social services that we have today to take care of those folks. And even now, it's not that great. So you can imagine, you know, a couple thousand years ago, you know, they, they didn't have this. So, so what was it? Or, or was she a slave before? And the slave owner was just like, yeah, I'm done. Or go work for me. You're, you make me more money out there than you do here. So what was it? We don't know her story. But yet all these people around there are judging her, are condemning her, are pointing fingers at her, are talking about her, but they don't even know her story of why she got there. So when we look out at International Boulevard, let's not villainize all the women out there, or even the young men. We don't know their stories. We don't know how they ended up there. What if, what were the, what if they were kidnapped? And they're put there under their, under, against their own free will. It's not like, you know openly choosing and that's how I want to live my life so there blah I don't care I'll stick my thumb at you and stuff like that some of these people have some stories there that they don't really want to be there so here she is we don't know much about her except that her life was touched by Jesus she was touched by Jesus and and as all the all those tears fell on Jesus feet there was nothing for her to wipe those feet with and, and it makes you think that this was not a planned thing. I don't think she planned on this happening. Like, I'm going to produce this many tears so I can wipe his feet. I, I think this was kind of a spontaneous thing. She was there just excited to see Jesus. And she's like, what? Simon's a jerk. She's not doing anything for, for my Lord. And this is making me really upset. Because I, he totally transformed my life. And so she didn't know what Jesus that Jesus would be treated so disrespectfully by Simon, right? So, she's going there because Jesus changed her life. Jesus transformed her life. And she notices all this stuff happening, and it's so rude, and it's in public, and everyone sees this, and everyone saw what Simon was doing to Jesus. And this, this is done in public view, right? This is kind of like people watching a movie or watching a television show. People coming through and like, whoa, he's not kissing him no peace then i guess wow well he's not washing his feet wow no anointing wow what's going on and i don't know why simon was so disrespectful if i gave him the benefit of the doubt maybe he was too excited maybe he was like i'm gonna have jesus over at my house here let's talk and just totally forgot everything else. If we give him the benefit of the, of the doubt, maybe that's, that's why. I don't think so, because if we read the rest of the story, we're going to read into this guy's kind of mindset. But maybe he was embarrassed. Maybe he was embarrassed that, yeah, I'll have him over my house, but I'm not going to give him the common courtesies. I'm not going to do those things just to show my colleagues, my fellow Pharisees, that I've, I've got the upper hand. You're welcome, you're welcome to come in and eat with me and we're going to talk, but I'm not going to extend hospitality. I'm not going to extend courtesy. Or, you know, maybe this was a way that he's going to show Jesus, this is what I really think about you. Just have a seat. No kiss, no 
anointing, no washing feet, no nothing. But something drove her to fall at the feet of Jesus. Something drove her to serve him in that way, to wash his feet, to anoint him. Something drove her that she began to wipe his feet with her hair. Now this is something to be aware of. Because in order to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, she had to let her hair down, right? Now, now some may think, well, big deal. You let your hair down, big deal. This is a really, really big deal. If you go back to the Middle East now, aside from Israel, where people are, are kind of more westernized, hair is always up. Hair is always up. Why is that? Because this hair is their form of sexuality. You know, when we, when we look at sexual things, when, when the advertisements are out there, people tend to focus on curves and body parts and things like that. In this culture and in this time, it's the hair. It's the hair. So in the Talmud, a woman could be divorced for letting her hair down in front of another man. And so her hair was only put down for her husband. That was it. So a, a woman letting her hair down was just as offensive as a woman taking her clothes off. Right? So, so, so you can imagine the shock in this crowd. Because for us, it'd be like a woman taking her clothes off. So you can imagine the shock, like, whoa, not here. Right? You don't do that here. So not only was Jesus touched by a sinner who was considered unclean. She's considered unclean. He was touched by a sinner who let her hair down before him. For some of us, I mean, it's embarrassing. Like, please, not here. Don't do that. Jesus is cool. You can't shake him. Right? But shocking for that culture. Shocking for someone reading this story. Like, whoa. What? what? This is crazy. But she's just, she's just overcome by the goodness of Jesus. So much so that she doesn't even care. She doesn't care what people think. And others don't always understand the cries of a sinner. Right? When, when people do things, you're like, what? that's dumb. Why are you doing that? But, but only the sinner that is so redeemed and so forgiven and, 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 and is moved by Jesus, only they would understand, like, I don't care. I don't care. This is my God, and this is what I'm going to do. And it's, it's funny, because it's usually those who are religious, like the Pharisees. They're the worst. That's not the proper way. That's not the proper way to worship Jesus. That's not the proper way to do things before God. Don't do it that way. That's kind of disrespectful. How much more disrespectful can you get than letting your hair down back in this culture? Yet, yet we always want to judge people for how they're worshiping the Lord or how they're serving the Lord, but they're just acting out of, they, they can't control this. Right? They, are, they are truly repentant. They're, they're trying to be thankful for this forgiveness here. So all this stuff is, is just, it's scandalous. Letting your hair down, you're wiping his feet, and it's, it's shocking. But she was redeemed by Jesus. And so with her hair, she's, she's wiping Jesus' feet, and then she starts kissing his feet, and then she's anointing his feet. What is she doing? What is she doing? 
Sure, she did the things that Simon wouldn't do for her, but she's laying down the tools of her trade right at Jesus' feet. How many men were there where she let her hair down in front of him doing her trade? How many men was, were kissed by her? How many men were anointed with that fragrance? Well, she anointed herself for, with that fragrance. And here she is, she's just laying down all the tools of her trade right at Jesus' feet. So essentially what she's doing is she's repenting. She's repenting. She's, she's turning from her behavior. So she, she no longer needs that ointment. Right? And so instead of using her hair to sell herself, she's sold out to Jesus. Totally repentant. Everything laid down before his feet. I don't need this stuff anymore. And she did the things that Simon didn't do for Jesus. She, she adored Jesus. She revered Jesus. She repented before Jesus. And you notice that Jesus doesn't tell her to stop. He doesn't step away. He doesn't show his disapproval. He doesn't show that he's offended in any way. But who does? The Pharisee. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now that word for touching isn't just simply like physical touch, right? The word for touching here is, is, is kind of insinuating something more, right? That, that it's, it's a more rude way of putting it like, you know, if this man were a prophet, he would, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's, who's all over him, who's just touching him all over. And, and he would know what she's up to and what she's doing, for she's a sinner, so, yeah, you got to love those religious people, huh? you got to love them. Because religious people think that Jesus only likes neatly packaged people that, that know exactly how to approach him and have things all planned out and, and perfect, which is not true. Religious people think that it's, it's going to, it, it's a good thing to push a sinner away when, they're, when they can't approach Jesus properly. You have to approach the Lord properly. So go away until you can get things right. But that's not true. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for broken people. And so, so Jesus welcomes sinners, and we welcome sinners at our church. We welcome you here. Now some people may feel otherwise, and they believe that, oh, you can't welcome me because I'm so this or I'm so that, or I wanna, I've tried this so many times, or I've brought these people and you guys don't accept them, and they have all this stuff, and they're blaming our church for not accepting people like them. That's not true. That's simply not true. We accept sinners. That's our business. Right? And, and, and if you choose to leave because of something you felt or something, that's your choice. We're not driving you away. We're not driving people away. If you choose to leave and you don't want to be here, then it's not like we're going to beg you to stay either. Because you have your choice. You have your choice if you want to stay or if you want to go. We're not a prison. So if you want to go, God bless you. If you want to stay, God bless you. But we're not going to force you either way. But you're accepted. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. 
When Simon questioned whether Jesus uh, knew the type of woman that was touching him, he's not, he's not only going to let him know that he knows exactly who she is, he's also going to let him know exactly who he is. So check this out, verses 41 through 43. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Now a a denarii is about a day's wage. So when we look at 500 denarii, it's over a year's wages. Over uh, the annual pay of somebody, right? So when we look at 50, it's about a month and a half pay. But either way, it's, it's money that these people can't pay. So both amounts are a good amount of money that people can't just come up with. Right? It's not like a week's wages where you can try to work it up. It's over a month and a half. It's over a year. So, so this, these are hard debts to kind of pay your creditor with. So both of these debts are canceled. So which one of these respective debtors would love the money lender more? And so you notice how Simon answered. He says, I suppose. Suppose. Simon knew the answer, right? He knew what Jesus was getting to. He knew exactly what was happening here. So Jesus was pointing out that the woman who owed the debtor was this woman who owed 500. And so she was part of this 500 club. And he's pointing out that you're 50 cent. Right? So here's this woman. She's 500. You're 50 cent. And what's, what's up? So she, she understands forgiveness a whole lot more than you, 50 cent. And so... So she wept, she washed, she anointed, and he, he didn't. He didn't do any of this stuff. And so you jump to verse 47 and it says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, 500, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, 50 sin, loves little. Now, some of the greatest saints of the church were once the greatest sinners. I don't know if you realize that or not. Let's just take a look at two in the Bible. I could point to a lot of others that are outside the Bible, but we can look at the Bible itself. You look at Paul. You're like, Paul? And for those of you who don't know, Paul wrote a majority of the New Testament. But Paul was a, a guy who persecuted Christians, and not just persecuted, but pretty violently. Pretty violently. He, he went and he imprisoned people, which meant that he separated people from their families, which also meant that he ruined them financially. So there's no breadwinner anymore. Right? You take dad out of the household, they're done. So he ruined them financially. He separated families. He condoned the killings of Christians. One of them being the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He was present right there. Didn't do anything to stop it. It was just right there. And Paul said this of himself in Acts chapter 22, verse 4. I persecuted this way, the Christian way, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. This was Paul. The great apostle Paul. What about Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. Credited for writing the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. 
and he rose and followed him. Now Matthew collected taxes from the Hebrew people in Capernaum. And, and he was collecting for the Roman government. He was collecting for Herod. And, and because of this line of work, he was despised. He was considered an outcast. He was considered unclean amongst his own people. You're like, why? What's the big deal? This is just an IRS agent. Big deal. They're okay. Because a tax collector back then was a fraudulent person. It was a corrupt person. And that person was dealing with the Gentiles, which made them unclean. And you're wondering, well, how, how are they fraudulent? How are they corrupt people? Aren't they just collecting taxes? Well, the, the way that you became a tax collector is you had to have money. You had to buy the position. And if you bought the position, you knew that that was a moneymaker. You knew you were buying a McDonald's franchise once you became a tax collector. Because whatever you gave the Roman government, anything more that you collected was for your own pocket. So you were an extortioner. You, were a, you paid to be an extortioner, and now you're getting paid for taking people's money. And you're, you're collecting the taxes, and you're giving it to the people, but then you're collecting more than what Rome required. So these people were hated because they were supposedly their own people. And these people, since they were in a little town like Capernaum, they knew everybody, so they collected from everybody. And Rome kind of strategized to do this on purpose. Like, they already know the language. They already know their people. They have them collect from, from their own people, and, and we'll just kind of gain from, from that. And so these people were hated. So much so that so the zealots, the zealots that were one of them, which was also with Jesus, it, it's funny because Jesus picks Matthew and he p- picks Simon the zealot to be both part of his crew, right? A zealot swore against the Roman government, so much so that they would be willing to kill, assassinate Roman officials. And so here, here's, here are these guys, Paul and Matthew. And then if you read about people outside the Bible, like John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader before, and how God changed his life. And so he was instrumental in abolishing slavery. And you, story after story about the greatest sinner becoming the greatest saint. And so you see God's grace. You see God's forgiveness. You see God's love that he doesn't push people away. He invites us in. And that being said, we won't be able to fully see Jesus if we aren't able to see the sinner that we really are. If you don't see your sin, you can't see Jesus. So in order to fully understand Jesus, we have to fully understand who we are in our own sin. Verses 44 through 47. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. You notice in verse 44 that Jesus turns toward the woman while he's talking to Simon. So he's looking at the woman, he's talking to Simon. And Jesus asks Simon, do you see this woman? He's facing the woman. He's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? 
It's interesting because, in other words, Simon, do you see that her expression of love was a sign of forgiveness? That she acknowledged forgiveness? That she is repentant? That, that you didn't do any of this customary, courteous stuff as a host should do, but she did. And now you're judging her for what you didn't do. You're judging her for not being repentant like yourself while she is. You're judging her for acknowledging forgiveness when you can't. And so I see her, right? Jesus sees her and she sees me. And Jesus was saying, Simon, I see you, but you don't see me. And so it wasn't just a matter of hospitality here. It wasn't just a matter of being courteous. Simon couldn't recognize his own need for forgiveness. He was unaware of his own sin. So Simon couldn't see his own need for repentance. He couldn't see that. Verse 48, And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? Your sins are forgiven. All that baggage, all that judgment and condemnation that you're facing throughout the world, released. You're freed. And as, as she was just judged and condemned publicly, here Jesus frees her publicly. You're free. And while, while she, she stuck her neck out for Jesus, Jesus kind of stuck his neck out for her too. Right? When, when you know you're a sinner... And you have all that weight of sin on you. It's so liberating to be freed from Jesus. For him to free you from all that stuff. And he's the only one that can take that weight off. And you might be thinking, well, how, how did Jesus stick his neck out? You know? How did. He said, your sins are forgiven. See, we can't outgive God, right? He. He's, he's totally got our back. So here's this woman. She kind of sticks her neck out for Jesus, saying, like, I can't take it anymore. I'm, I need to serve him. And here's Jesus, and this is what he says in verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Do you see how Jesus sticks his neck out? And that all this attention is paid on this woman. Everyone's kind of judging, condemning her. Oh, he's letting her hair down. Oh, wasting that flat. Oh, all this stuff. She's a woman of the city. She's a sinner. All this stuff. And, and all this case is building against Jesus here, right? And you recall back in Luke chapter 5, verse 21, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is what they were thinking back then, and this is what Jesus does. He throws a grenade in the room, and he says, You're forgiven. What? Basically, I'm God. So all the attention that was on her focuses on him. See how he stuck, sticks his neck out for us? You're doing this stuff. People are judging you like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, you're wasting stuff and washing your hair. You're giving your life away. That's terrible. How come you quit that job to go into ministry? Or oh, you did all this. How come you go on that mission trip? You could save money and, and buy a house or whatever. And all the stuff you're judging, you're judging. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What? You can't forgive sins. And they forget that that person's there. Jesus is awesome. He's not going to let you hang out there to dry like, beat, beat him up, beat him up, beat him up. Hey, over here. Hey, guys, over here. 
So, yes, the case is building against Jesus, but the case is also building for Jesus. Because people like that woman, like you and I, who have recognized that we've been saved, are like, oh, thanks, God, I was getting pummeled. Oh, thank you. Thank you for taking that attention away. Thank you for hanging on the cross for me, dying for my sins. God's judgment is on, on you instead of me. I can't take it. And it's focused back on Jesus. And so those people who recognize that Jesus is more than a prophet will receive salvation. And those who don't recognize that only Jesus can bring forgiveness of their sin, they're going to crucify him. They're going to beat him up. They're going to sentence them themselves to hell. But you see how Jesus takes this negative attention away from the woman. And he does that for us too. Right? When judgment should be upon us, when we should be the ones with the, the brunt of judgment on us, he takes it. He takes it. And how is that even possible? Right? Here's this woman who's bawling, she's letting her hair down, wiping Jesus' feet. Very provocative stuff happening here. Kissing his feet, anointing his feet, all this stuff. People think she's nuts. and like, oh, look at her. She's nuts. She's nuts. Can you believe this? What's, I'm God. What? And then she says, this is awesome. Verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Attention's on me. All right, honey, get out of here. This is your escape route. Go, go. She's awesome. Right? The, 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 the attention's on me. And I can defend myself. I'm God. Right? Jesus, I, I, can, I can take care of this. Your faith, it saved you. The attention's on me now. Go in peace. Go. It's like that for us. It's saved by grace through faith. Right? Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Our faith in Jesus saves us. Right? It's like all this stuff is on you. You're a sinner. You've done this. You've done that. You've done this. You've done that. Jesus says, I'm God. Whoop, judgment on me. All right, honey, go. You're free. Go in peace. Now when we think of peace, we, we tend to think that peace means the absence of problems, right? Oh, I'm so peaceful and relaxed. I don't have anything to deal with. I'm all this stuff. That's not necessarily the case here. Remember that you're, you're going to build your house on, on, on a rock or you're not. And when the storms of life come. Not if, right? So you're gonna, you're, it's not like peace in that way. Peace is more about, instead of peace, think about going communion. Going intimacy. Going a relationship with me. See, it's a more assertive way of approaching it. It's not just kind of like going peace, like, oh, cool, I'm just going to float down, float down to my little, with my little drink over here and a little pontoon or something and float down. It's not like that. It's, it's telling her, go. You go, girl. Right? Go. Go occupy this kingdom space and do stuff right here. And what, what, what did this woman essentially do to get to Jesus? Right? She risked. She made some effort to go and get this public disapproval to get to Jesus. And you know what that is? That's faith. She didn't know what was going to turn out. She didn't know what was going to happen there. Right? So faith is taking risks. That's what faith is all about. You have to take risks. And so, just for that verse, plug in the word risk for faith in that verse. 
Your risk has saved you. Go in peace. Her sticking her neck out, going in there and serving Jesus and being at Jesus' feet, totally repentant, asking for forgiveness by showing this stuff, saved her. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Because so, without faith, there is no risk in, in, in uh, or there is no faith without risk. You have to exercise faith within the realm of risk. Otherwise, that's not called faith. I don't know what you'd call that. Planned outness, I don't know. But it's not, it's not risky. But if you want the peace that Jesus has to offer, you will have to risk something. You have to risk something. Because you don't know that stuff. That's what faith is all about, right? Faith requires taking risks. And when we do, we grow in communion. We grow in intimacy with God. We, we grow in this relationship with God. And we can gain that peace. And when we stick our necks out, when we are doing stuff, you don't have to worry that that's permanent. Because God, Jesus is going to be like, oh, this is great. You're serving me. And, and when you feel beat up, hey, over here, guys. And the tension's on him. He's like, all right, go. Here, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for taking that sin from us. Thank you for taking that judgment and condemnation. I pray, Lord, that our faith would grow in you, that we would grow to be risk takers. Risk takers for you. To serve you, to do things that we would think are unconventional and, and that don't make sense all the time. But if you are leading us to it, Lord, if you are leading us and showing us that that is a way to repentance, showing us that that is a way to forgiveness, that we would do that. For that person who has wronged us, maybe, and that if we approach them, that all they're going to do is throw it back in our face. That whatever we do, Lord, we can't be right with them. But Lord, you're our God, and, and you take care of things that you've forgiven us of our sins, and you tell us to go in peace, to walk in intimacy with you. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts, that we are able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.